Hey, uh, if you got your Bibles, grab them. I'm going to get to Matthew chapter 6 here in a moment. Uh, we're in a series on spiritual apps, and uh, I want to remind you why we uh, are going with this series this summer. It's because we've, we recognize that the world is moving at a very frenetic pace, uh, a very fast pace, and the current of that movement uh, sucks us into it. And if we're not careful, we get going so hard so fast that our souls pay a price. And so we remind ourselves that we need to stop and slow down and allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. And, uh, and so that, that's why we're engaging these spiritual apps, because these spiritual apps are practical ways that we can do that. They're spiritual disciplines. They are not attempts to try and to perform for God. The spiritual apps are not some attempt to try and uh, gain more favor from God or to try and be more holy. The spiritual apps are simply disciplines that take us to Jesus and allow ourselves, because he is our, he is our shepherd. He is the one who can restore our souls. So that, that's why we're in this series. And again, as I mentioned earlier in the service, we've looked at listening. Brian Cadella talked to us about that. A great job on that one. I talked to you about the discipline of play. I talked about spiritual reading. Susan Garlinger did a great job last week talking about meditation and I want to talk to you about the spiritual app called Giving and how it relates to the, the topic of, of money. Now, just saying the word money causes a, uh, a response in us. Uh, women sort of get their purses and pull them a little bit closer. Uh, guys want to make sure that their wallet is still there. Uh, kids want to make sure that all the coins are still in their piggy banks. Um, because the, the reality is, is that we all struggle in parting with, with money. Uh, that, it's a difficult thing for us. I mean, I've lost shoes, I've lost coats, I've lost my keys more times than I care to count. Uh, but when I lose my wallet, we have a, we have a national emergency. Uh, you know, it's like dial 911 because somewhere out there, my wallet is laying helpless. And in it are credit cards, debit cards, and cash, and it's all out there laying helpless. And I want to make sure that that gets found. I want that stuff back. We struggle parting with money. And let me just help you understand how, how true that is. Get your purse or your, your wallet right now, okay? Get your purse or your wallet. Trust me in this. It, it's okay. Your purse or your wallet. And get into your purse and get into your wallet and look for the largest denomination of bill that you have, okay? The largest one. If it's a dollar, it's a dollar. If it's a 20, it's a 20. If you have no cash in your wallet or purse, take out that credit card, all right? Get it in your hand. Would you get it in your hand? Now, now that you have it in your hand, you can keep, keep digging it out. What I want you to do is I want you to hold it up in, 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 the, uh, in the air here, okay? Just hold it up in the air. All right. Got it up in the air. Now what I want you to do is give it to the person who's sitting behind you. All right? Not too easy. Some of you are going, I got a great deal. I gave a George. I got a Ben. Give the money back. <laughs> Give them a, stop taking pictures of those credit cards with your phone. <laughs> hey, the, the fact of the matter is, is we struggle part with money. And you know what's surprising? What's surprising is how much the Bible talks about money. You know, um, you know when, you, when you want to think about money, you want to learn about money or how to handle it, you might think about picking up a Wall Street Journal or reading Fortune magazine uh, you wouldn't think about cracking your Bible. When you crack your Bible, you think you'd, you'd, you'd learn about things, you know, spiritual things like redemption and forgiveness and 
grace and coming judgment, rewards, and all those kind of noble and lofty ideas, spiritual ideas when you crack your Bible. You don't expect to open your Bible and read so much about money. But the, the fact of the matter is that Jesus speaks more about money than he does about prayer. Jesus teaches more about, about money than he does about prayer. In fact, Jesus teaches more about, faith, about money than he does about faith. In fact, Jesus, if you were to combine all the teaching of Jesus on prayer and faith and compare it to his teaching on money or, or, or handling resources, uh, you would find he, he speaks more about money and handling resources than he does about prayer and faith combined. Which prompts a question. Why does Jesus teach and talk so much about money? I mean, he gives a lot of attention to it. In fact, if I, as a pastor, were, in, were to, in proportion, preach on money as much as Jesus did, you'd, you'd go like, I'm going to go to another church. This guy, all he talks about is money. Or maybe you'd be visiting and saying, you know, I knew it. That's all they talk about at church is money. But that, that's what Jesus does. He, he gives a, a great amount of, of airtime to this topic of our finances. Why? Why, why does he do that? Well, the short answer is that, as we'll see as we read Matthew chapter 6, the short answer is, is that the love of money, greed, or materialism can actually lead us to the place where we will hate God. Think about that for a moment. The love of money, greed, or materialism can lead us to a place where we actually despise God. Now, we're in this series on spiritual apps, and we're talking about spiritual dis disciplines that take us to Jesus. And sort of, in a way, we're kind of looking at it a backwards way on this app because this, if we, don't, if we don't learn how to handle, if we don't learn how to use the giving app, we can actually find ourselves in a place where we would look contemptuously at God because we fall into the trap of greed or materialism. Now, I'm going to show you how this is. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6. Stand with me as, if you will. I want to read um, uh, these verses that begin in verse 19. Uh, one, of, one of the sections that Jesus here is teaching about our, our resources, money and possessions. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 19. It says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness... How deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. Here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about how, how money, how the love of money can uh, exercise power over us. How money exercises power over us. And I want, I want to show you that from the text. And then I want, I want to lead us to a place. Well, we'll talk about how and the, and the why. But I want to lead us to a place uh, where we talk about the giving app and talk about how to break the power of money over our lives. 
So we're talking about how money exercises power over us and actually could lead us to a place, the love of money could lead us to a place where we'd actually despise God. It's hard to imagine. But it can do that. I'm going to show it to you. And I'm going to talk about also how, what's this giving up? How can we make sure, how can we break that power of greed, materialism, and the love of money in our lives. That's, that's how I want to uh, break out this, this text. And so let's just start with how money exercises power over us. How, how does this happen? I don't know if you noticed this or not, but when I was reading these verses, you know, it, it seemed to, to flow pretty well until you got about three verses in, because then Jesus starts talking about eyes and lamps and light and darkness. And then he ta- starts talking about, you know, no one can have two masters. You'll love the one, hate the other. Um, you know, verses 19 through 21 are about storing up treasures, about resources. Verses 22 and 23 are this eye lamp thing. And then you get in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Is Jesus sort of like just, you know, popping new ideas out everywhere? Well, well no. It's, it's connected. Uh, Luke's uh, gospel helps us on this one because uh, Luke is capturing the Sermon on the Mount as well, the teachings of Jesus. And at the preface of much of the same, uh, the same teaching, uh, Je- uh, Jesus speaks these words captured by Luke that, that, that say, watch out for greed. Watch out for greed. And then you get this lamp uh, concept going on. Let, let me explain this to you because this is very interesting. What Jesus is saying as he's talking about be careful on where you store your treasures up, watch out for greed. What he is saying is that greed, love of money, materialism has a very unique effect on us. And so he uses this metaphor of your eye. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. If you can see, if you are not blind, if you're in this room today, you know that it's filled with light. And if you were to get up and walk around If you watch where you're going, you won't trip, you won't run into people, your eye is working, there's light coming into your body, okay? You can navigate your way around. Now, I know some people who are blind as well, and what they see is darkness. They don't have light, so they need people to guide them, to show them how to get around, because they they would stumble, they would walk into something, so I mean, that's, that makes pretty much sense to us. And, and, and then we get in the last part of this whole eye lamp metaphor. And Jesus says, but when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if, you, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you are in a place of darkness, but you think it's light, that's a deeper darkness. Because you're deceived, and you don't even know you're deceived. Years ago, I was working for a manufacturing company, and I was making a trip to Florida because we had a small manufacturing plant there in Florida. And I went to work with this guy. His name is Sam, and uh, I was visiting him. And uh, you know, after we were working at the plant there, he said, hey, let's go fishing. And he wanted to take me bass fishing in Florida. And, um, and so he said he wanted to take me to a mountain lake. I was intrigued. Because I flew into Florida, and I saw the landscape, and it looked really flat. So I thought, i got to see a mountain lake in Florida. So I said, you bet, let's go fishing. So we got in his truck, pulled his bass boat, we're heading out, we get to this lake, he pops out, so let's go fishing. And I said to Sam, I thought we were going to a mountain lake. He said, we are at a mountain lake. I said, where's the mountain? I mean, it's true, we went up a little incline, I went from sea level to about 100 feet, and uh, but Sam, this is a mountain. I said, no, no, Sam, this is not a mountain. No, it's a mountain. It's not a mountain. It's a mountain. Okay, it's a Floridian mountain. I'll give it to you, okay? 
he was convinced that that was a mountain. Until the next year when he came to visit our plant in Hood River, Oregon. And I picked him up and I pulled him into a viewpoint where he could say Mount, see Mount Hood. And I said to Sam, Sam, that's a mountain. <laughs> and he just stood there just staring at it, not saying a word. Because he never, he'd never seen the mountains. Uh, he'd never seen it other than in pictures. And, and, and the reason I share that story with you is that sometimes we think we see something. And, and really, no, we're not seeing. We, we think we see a mountain. And it's like, you know, a little rise in a hill here's how that relates to what jesus is talking about what he's saying is watch out for greed greed is an eye sin greed is the one thing that you are blind to and the moment that you think that you don't have a greed problem or a materialism problem is the moment that you're in deep darkness because Greed, the sin of materialism, comes with the symptom that says it's not true about me. Are you tracking with me? Because Jesus is saying, hey, if you think that the light you have is actually darkness, you're in deeper darkness. If you think you don't have a greed uh, greed or materialism problem, that's a very bad sign. If you think that you don't have a greed or materialism problem, that is a very bad sign because it is an eye sin. It's the one sin that you will not know that you're falling into. Uh, I was reading about a pastor who was doing a sermon series on the seven deadly sins uh, from Proverbs 6. And uh, he was seven weeks in a row, he's doing this, this series, and a friend of his said, hey, are you, are you telling people ahead of time what, uh, what topic you're preaching on uh, every week? He said, yeah, yeah, we're publicizing it, letting people know. Because one of them is greed. And he said, hey, I want to make a bet with you. I bet when you're done with the seven weeks and you go back and you look at church attendance, what you're going to see is the week that you publicize you're going to speak on greed is the week that there's going to be lowest attendance. And the pastor said, no, 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 you, you, don't, you don't know the people go to our church. You, you don't know that. He said, no, let's just, let's, just, let's just see what happens. Does his seven weeks of sermons, goes back, looks at attendance, And guess what? He was right. The week he spoke on greed was the lowest attended weekend. Why? Is this church full of horrible people? No, not at all. It just so happens that no one thinks they have a greed problem. They compare themselves to somebody else. I'm not living as extravagantly as that person is. I don't have a problem. And that's a bad sign. In fact, I, I, was, I was wondering, okay, what about St. Alliance? What, you know, how, how does this topic impact us? And so I talked to, to several pastors who were here on staff uh, who meet with people on a regular basis. They talk to people about, you know, they want people who call them and say, hey, I got an anger issue, I want to talk to you. Or I've got, I'm struggling in the marriage, can I talk to you? Or I'm struggling in this area, can I talk to you? And, uh, and so I, I contacted them and I asked them this question. And by the way, these, these six pastors that I talked to represent 130 years of collective pastoral ministry, okay? So this would be like becoming a pastor in 1882 to 2012, which is when Steve Dangaren started, if you're wondering. <laughs> so, it's 130 years of collective ministry. And I asked them the question, has anyone ever called you or emailed you and say, I'd like to set up an appointment because I have a materialism problem. I'd like to meet with you because I think I'm struggling with greed. Guess how many people uh, that have made that request of our pastoral staff? Zero. Why, because we're horrible people? No. 
It's not because we're horrible or bad people. It's because none of us think that this is true of us, which is what Jesus is getting at here in this text. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, you're in a deeper darkness. So, the, the reason that money has this, the love of money and materialism and greed has this, this incredible power over us is because we never know when we're falling victim to it. I mean, think about it for a moment. 70% of the world's wealth is now in the hands of 5% of the world's population, and that's basically us. If, if 70% of the world's wealth is in the hands of 5% of the population represents basically us, how dare we say that we might not struggle with materialism or greed? That the rest of the world is looking at us and, and saying, yeah, come on, people. Yet, I do, I, you probably do say that. I don't, I don't have a greed problem, I don't have a materialism problem. 1635, a guy named Robert Kane, a businessman in Boston, uh, was a member of first, the first congregational church there in Boston in 1635, which actually probably was the first congregational church in Boston. And, uh, and he was a businessman, a successful businessman, and he was disciplined by his church elders for the sin of greed. He was disciplined, but he was actually told, we want you to, to hold back on taking communion uh, in these next months, and he was, he was admonished by his elders. For, this, for the sin of greed. Now, was he, was he greedy because he was successful in business? No, no, get this. He was, he was uh, disciplined because the product that he manufactured, he was marking up his cost. He was, he was uh, 6%. He, was, he had a 6% profit margin. And the church had made this decision that 4% profit margin was the ceiling for Christians. Now, I know you're thinking, you're thinking, where in the world is he going with this story? <laughs> Stick with me, because this isn't as ridiculous as it sounds. The reason they set it at 4% was because they knew, it was very wise, they knew that greed or materialism is something that they would not recognize. And there are greedy lifestyles. There are materialistic attitudes out there and they knew that on their own, they couldn't recognize it. So as a church, they had a gathering, and together, in community, they decided, and Robert Kane was there, that 4% was going to be the, the mark. They discussed it, and anything above 4% was going to be greed. Kane, and in the months and years ahead, started raising his prices 6%, and so the church called him in and said, hey, you can't do that. Now, I'm not suggesting we set up some simple rule like that. That's not the point. The point is this. We need help in identifying whether or not we're struggling with materialism because this is a very important deal. Money, the love of money, greed, materialism can actually not, it wouldn't take us to Jesus, it can actually lead us step by step to a place where we actually despise God. That's what the text says. No one can serve two masters. You will either love one or despise the other. So, Here's the question for us. Who are you authorizing? Who in your life that you, that you know loves you and that you trust, who are you, are you sharing your spending habits with to help you discover whether or not you're, you're being materialistic or, or greedy? 
Who are you sharing uh, your, your, your levels of generosity with? Now, I know what you're thinking, because I know what I'm thinking. I'm not sharing that with anybody. Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible, that's none of your beeswax or something like that? Aren't people not supposed to know what, what you give? Actually, there's one verse in the Bible that says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you're giving alms to the poor. And really, the context of the verse is that don't make a fanfare of your giving. It's about heart and attitude. The church I was at in Hong Kong, um, that church on communion Sundays, actually, every communion Sunday, let me get this, they print the names of people who gave to the church and the amounts and pull it on a bulletin board. So here, we got some names. I'm just kidding here. <laughs> Isn't that like, like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? I'm not, rec- I'm not recommending we do that. What I'm saying is this. On your own, you will not know if you're struggling with materialism. You're blind. It's an eye sin. It's the one sin that you will think, that's not me. And if you think it's not you, It's a very bad sign. So that's how money exercises power over us. It it blinds us. And we we spend it because we we sometimes we're searching for significance. If I can have that brand, if I can drive that car, if I can have that bigger house, or if I can look this way, then I'll feel significant. And having nice things and having a nice house and having a nice car are not bad. Please don't hear me saying that. But when at the core of it is this treasure called significance, we've got a problem because Jesus says, don't let your treasure be here on earth. Or maybe if your treasure ends up being security, I, I need to have enough just in case something bad happens. I, 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 I got to have it because this is my security. Well, Jesus is saying, your security is not here on earth. Store your treasures in heaven because I'm your security. Because the reality is that each and every one of us in this room is walking on a giant trap door, just like everyone else who's gone before us in the history of the world. And at some point in your life, you will not know the day, uh, that trap door is going to open up. It's called, that trap door is called death, and you're going to fall straight through it. And you're either going to fall into the loving arms of Christ, or you're going to fall into this place that Jesus describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And your money isn't going to help you. King Tut thought it was going to help him, so he piled his, his room full of all the gold. I have a friend who's not a believer who told his wife that when he dies, he's very wealthy, when he dies, that he wants her to write a check that equals the balance of his checking account and put it in his coffin with him. I can go to Bank of America in hell? <laughs> We, we buy into this, this, this lie that somehow we'll be certain. No, your treasure is Jesus. But this is how money exercises power over us. We're blind to it. We start seeking other treasures. And we potentially could get to this place where we actually despise God. How do we keep that from happening? Well, that takes us to the giving app. And I just want to be really honest with you. And let me just say this, because uh, I'm going to talk about some practical ways that you can be generous. And um, 
you know, in the last couple, of, last week, Rob Childs talked about where we're at with our ministry fund. Week before that, I talked about, you know, our giving over this past year. I want you to know that, you know, this series uh, on spiritual laughs was something we prayed about last March. We set this whole series up. So while we've, we've been talking about, hey, we're kind of hurting in our ministry fund, this is not some way to guilt you or to manipulate you uh, to do certain things. That, that, that's not the heart of this. The heart of this is that we could live our lives following after Christ and avoid the trap of falling into the power of greed and materialism. So pl- please hear my heart on this. And as I talk about the giving app, let me quickly just tell you sort of the philosophy of the operating system with the giving app. And, and the, 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 so the philosophy of the operating system of the giving app is this. You remember the movie Lord of the Rings or the, the books written by Tolkien? Uh, where the, the ring is the treasure, right? Everyone wants the ring in that story. And if they have the ring, what they're saying, if I just had this, it'd be worth it. If I just had that, because I'm worth it, it'd be worth it if I had it. So people want the ring. And there's this guy named Gollum who gets the ring. And what's he call the ring? Because it's precious. <laughs> kind of creepy. <laughs> kind of creepy. But it says precious, and he's got to have the precious. Now, take that word, take Gollum out of the picture here, and take the word precious, and I want you to think from, a, from an eternal perspective of what Jesus thought about you. Because here's the reality. Jesus looks at you and says, you are his treasure. You're his precious. And how you know that, because when you treasure someone or something you, you will give everything you have to get it. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus gives everything he has so that he could have you his treasure because you're his precious. And so he goes, he, goes, he leaves heaven, Philippians chapter two. He, he sets aside the glory in heaven. By the way, he leaves security and significance behind. He takes on flesh and goes to the cross and pays for you with his life. He pays the ransom price because he must have you. You're his treasure. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11 says of the suffering servant, the, the Messiah, that after his anguish, he will be satisfied. Because he has his precious. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You are his purchased possession. You're his treasure. And so he went to the cross. Now, how this relates to the giving app is simply this. The philosophy behind our giving is that there should be a cross in our giving. There should be sacrifice. Jesus, because, you know, we talk about tithing. We, we, a tithe is 10%. If Jesus had gone to the cross and, and, and given a tithe, we'd all still be lost, right? You know, if an hour into suffering, said, okay, I'm done, that's it. We, we'd still be lost. But he went to the cross and he paid the full price. So the philosophy behind our giving, the idea embedded in our giving is that there must be a cross, There must be sacrifice because Paul tells us that we need to have the same attitude of Jesus. And Jesus left it all behind and gave it all. In order to have the same attitude as him, we too must sacrifice in our generosity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he was rich, but he became poor so that in your poverty, you could become rich. That's the attitude that we must have in our giving. 
So when it comes to the giving app, one of the very practical places we start is with the tithe, is giving of our 10%. Now, this may sound self-serving because here's the pastor talking about tithing, but here's the reality. Before I was even a pastor, this was a, this was a discipline for me that I needed because when I left high school, living overseas as a missionary kid, and I came to the U.S., I got a great job, and I had more money than I'd ever had. And I was acquiring it. Some of you know my story. And then I got these really cool little plastic cards that you just show them to people in the store, and they give you stuff. And I had more debt than I'd ever had. And I found myself in this place of, of having the wrong treasure. Tithing, for me, was a, was a very important discipline to put in place to free me from the power of materialism and greed because I'm blind to it, and so are you. And I just want to affirm, many of you in this room, this is a discipline that you're engaged in, in tithing. It's, it's, uh, for me, it's my conviction. This is sort of just the, the starting point. Tithing, but, but maybe you're here and you're thinking, tithing, how am I going to do that? Well, there's a cross in it for you. The reality is that a tithe for some other people in the room, there is no cross, and it doesn't even make a dent, and they need, they need to give more. Not, not because, you know, the church wants more. It's, it's just because it frees you from greed and materialism. Ask yourself this question. If I'm not tithing, why? Because remember, materialism and greed is an eye sin. Notice how Jesus never says, watch out, watch out for lying. Well, he doesn't say it because when you lie, you know you lie, right? He doesn't say, watch out, that you don't commit adultery. Because when you commit adultery, you know you commit adultery. You don't wake up in the morning after sleeping with someone else's wife or husband and say, oh my goodness, I thought that was my wife. Right? Because you know. The materialism and greed... It's the one sin you don't know. Tithing is a way to open your eyes and be generous. Here's another way that you can use the giving app. As tithing at a, as, as a basic, you can start giving offerings. Jesus references this in, in, in this idea of an eye. He says, a good eye allows light to fill the body. That word is actually a double meaning. I didn't tell you that early on. It means good and generous. What Jesus is saying is if you have a good eye, you're looking for ways to be generous. You're watching, you're in your neighborhood, you see that family, the mom and the dad have both lost their job, they have a son who wants to play football, he needs some new football cleats, you got a generous eye, you have a good eye, you see it, you give money so that kid can get football cleats, or you, uh, you, you take them shopping and so they can have those, those, those shoes to, to play that sport that year. Or you're in a community group and you see that family who's struggling to put food on the table, and you go and you get a gift card to that grocery store because you have a good and generous eye. You're looking for ways to be generous. In my, my conviction, my understanding of Scripture, that's an offering. I take my tithe and my personal convictions that goes to my primary place where I'm ministered to in my local church. I take my good eye, my generous eye, I'm looking out for ways that I can give offerings. I want to bless people, as many people as I can. Why? So I can break the power of greed and materialism on my life. I don't want to get to a place where I've come to this, this destination where I despise and hate God because I'm so in love with stuff. And folks... We live in the wealthiest society in the history of the world. If any society 
has a high propensity to struggle with materialism and greed, it's us. And the moment we say, I don't have that problem, is the moment you need to know that's very dangerous ground. So I want to challenge us to be a people who've been set free. You can be set free from the power of materialism and greed simply by engaging in this giving app, giving back to God with your tithe and getting a good eye, a generous eye and looking, God, where can I, where can I be like you? Jesus, where can I have your, where can I express the same attitude that you expressed for me? Because you were rich, but you became poor so that I could be rich and come out of my poverty. How can I do that? Who can I help in their poverty? We're the poor. And when we do that, as tough as it is to part with our money, our hearts are enlarged.